Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 18 of the Third and Short Overtime Podcast. We're obviously one down again. Hopefully, um, John gets better soon, and hopefully he's back next week. But again, Bones and Mark here to... We're going to go through our stock up, stock down, and we've, it seems like it's it's gone fast already. You know, we're already past week two, and um, so much to talk about. If you did, if you watched the NFL this weekend, even if you were part time or full time, I think it just showed how awesome this sport is. So many one point and, and just one score, you know, like games and stuff. It was it was just fantastic. So yeah, like I said, it's week two's over. Well, over quite a bit ago on Monday night, it was finished off, and. Um, Let's just jump straight into our week two talking points. You know, we're going to, like we said, we're going to do stock up, stock down every week. And the stock up, we've uh, we've picked out a few things for for stock up this week. And as you can see on the um, image here, we've got we've got a few things, and we'll 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 start from left to right. Let's start with um, Teddy Bridgewater and the Broncos. And obviously, the Broncos we've known they've had a good de- defense for for a while now. And they've just been waiting for this um, quarterback to come in. You know, they were talking about Aaron Rodgers in the off-season. And um, Drew Lockley, was he or was he not the right guy? Obviously, brought in Teddy Bridgewater. He's not, they don't think Drew Lockley is the right guy. And Teddy Bridgewater's been been good for him, you know. Like, he's, he's one of them quarterbacks that's down the middle, you know. He, he doesn't turn over the ball that much. And um, he's at the moment, early stages of the season. Broncos are 2-0 and and uh, looking good. Mark? I know you like touched on the Broncos. It's your division as well. What have you seen from uh, from Denver? Yeah, I watched this game just today. Um, you know, like and just to touch on a few of your points, really. You know, the Broncos have built a very, very good roster, and what we saw is we saw a talent like Drew Lock, who was far too risky, who really jeopardised the build that they were building there. They went out in the off season in the fall, like let's get a, a quarterback who'll do as he's told. We'll be more careful with the ball. I don't know if he's a long-term quarterback, um, or if he is, uh, you know, just just a stopgap, you know, until they do find the next guy who they want. But what Teddy Bridgewater's came in is he's come in and he's been probably, arguably, more than efficient. If truth be told, he's been careful with the ball. He hasn't turned the ball over, and what he's done is he's he's eliminated those stupid mistakes that the Broncos were making where Drew Locke was under pressure and he was just heaving the ball 40 yards and thinking, sod it, I'll try it, and playing quarterback like he was still in Missouri, you know, like in college in Mizzou. Um, and, and and they've got somebody who's got an NFL head on his shoulders. Um, look, Fangio's going to build a good defence. We all know that, that Fangio will put together a very, very good defence. And that's what this 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 Broncos defense is very good. It's got very similar looks as what we saw from the Rams defense last year. They use very much the same concepts. Um, you know, it, they'll, 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 it's predicated on turnovers. It's predicated on stopping the big play. There's cover two and there's cover three wrinkle. But what it is primarily, it's about all all eleven players being able to see the ball in front of them so they can break on the ball. And it's a very, very good defence. And that's what Fangio does. You know, what's come together for the Broncos is their offence. Um, yeah, and, and really they've took they've took a massive step forward just by replacing Drew Locke, who was lapsidaisical and careless, with Teddy Bridgewater, who's more intelligent and clever. I was watching the game earlier on, and there were situations where it was like third and 13. And Teddy's dropped back to throw the pass. 
And the deep ball's not on. So he's dumped it off to his running back. And his running back might have went six yards for it. And they've took the decision to punt. But even that's sensible. Because what it does, it gives you field position. And that you go, this, this is an R drive. What we'll do is, is we'll pin them back. We'll let our defence prevent them from getting first downs. And we'll go again with a shorter field. I think we've tried to force those third, third, third and 13 balls, them third and 15 balls into the hands of receivers, and they would have been getting turned over. And what Terry's done is Terry, Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater takes what's in front of him. You know, like he's he's he takes he's a very clever, very smart, very protective quarterback. He's not gonna blow you away, you know, like he's he's middle of the road, but he's not gonna he's not gonna put you in harm's way either. Um you know, before we go on to this game, I'm just going to go through what they've got on offense. They've got a lot of pieces there. They've got Cortland Sutton. He was injured last year. Second round draft pick. Very good, young, wide receiver. Already got a 1,000-yard season under his belt. He had nine receptions and 159 yards off um, 12 targets. They've got a legitimate deep threat in Hamler, another second round draft pick. They've got Judy, who's playing in the slot. He was injured this week, but he's playing in the slot normally. He runs his routes as good as anybody. You've got two really good tight ends in Albert O and Noah Fant. And you've got Tim Patrick, who last year was their leading wide receiver. And they've got a really good offensive line. They've got Garrett Bowles, Lloyd Cushenberry. They've got a good offensive line as well. And of course, you know, one of my favourite things is, is a running back stable. They've got Melvin Gordon, who's been around the league for a while now and produced both passing and rushing. And they've got Javonta Williams, who's behind them. Now, before I go into the game and what I'm going to bounce back to you, is you can see how the roster's all been there. They've got that talent there. And just the difference it makes having a conservative or smart quarterback who takes and doesn't try to do too much. I mean, what's your thoughts on that, Bones, you know? I do think there's there's some really good points been made here about um about the Broncos in in fair sight. The the situation with the, the team just needing a, a, a quarterback to get them to get them over the line. We've talked about this numerous times on the pod. And like you say there with the with the weapons they've got on offense as well, like it's this team's been backed up by like a lot of good a lot of good positional value. I I did want to touch on the running backs because I know you both liked Javonta Williams coming out of the draft. You were both big fans of this guy. And he's now taking as many like rushing snaps as Gordon. I think Gordon's still taking a lot of the receiving yards, but they, they really are working those two together and it was I guess coming out of the draft, it was a question of was Gordon going to see most of the snaps, but they're really, really spreading it about. Um, I think to 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 be fair to the Broncos, though, they, like there's going to be a point where, yeah, Teddy Bridgewater is a system quarterback, so it, we've seen system quarterbacks can get teams to the playoffs and can win playoff games. Like you don't need to be a top five quarterback to necessarily win a game in the playoffs or even make it to the championship. You need to be a good system fit and. Right now, Bridgewater's showing that. Like, I think it was the Broncos in week one where someone questioned why they would punt from the 51. Um, and it was it ended up being like a pin in them at the one-yard line punt. And it's like, your chances of making a field goal from that distance are not amazing. Whereas if you can pin them at the one-yard line reliably from the from the 50 on a, on a fourth down, and you trust your defense, like the Broncos clearly do, and they do have a good defense, like 
pin them at the one and play the field position game and live to live to play another day because if you've got that solid defense you will win the field position game and then you will eventually score through that alone and yeah i think that that goes untalked about i think people expect every drive to be a scoring drive and sometimes pinning a team at the one is is just as important as a three-point field goal can be um yeah, and we saw Patrick Satane get a big pick as well, which was cool. I liked that. Yeah, I mean, on, on your running backs, Bones, you know, like it's these backs, it's the diversity of the two of them. It's such a good, I would say they've got one of the better running back stables in the NFL, even though one of them's a rookie. Because what they've got is they've got great power to run between the tackles, which both these running backs can do. But Javonta Williams is seriously an edge threat as well. So they can go wide, Alec, and run these wider concept runs. You're right, Melvin Gorn's handling most of the passing duties. And you're dead on. They're literally sharing this workload 50-50. Javonta uh, Williams had 13 touches. Melvin Gordon had 13 touches. You know, in this game, you know, like, it was... There was so much when I was watching it when I was going. The Broncos of old would have turned the ball over there. And it was because they were willing to go. We don't have to score every drive. Let's pin them back at the one. This series isn't our series. They were moving the ball every single time. In the game, they only had 398 yards of total offense. That's all they had, 398 yards of total offense, which isn't a lot in an NFL standard. What they did have is they had 5.9 yards per play average. So when you think about it, you've got three downs to get 10 yards, the fourth down you're kicking or punting. So if you're getting three and a half yards, three and a half, three and a half, three and a half, you know what I mean? Or you're getting your 10 yards. They're getting a 5.9 yard average. You know what I mean? They dominated the time of possession. Dominated it. They had 38.54 of the time of possession. You know, dominating it. You Because what they're doing is they're, they're playing savvy offensive football behind a quarterback who's thinking, do I need to put this ball into harm's way? Or can we just take what's given and play the field. Um, did you want to say anything before I moved on to the next point, Jordan? Yeah, I was just I just want to throw a question back to you. Like you said, you mentioned the um, the offense. It's um, it's yeah. You know I mean, it's the, I think most players would pick a few wide receivers from them and add them to their team. You mentioned the top defense, and then you've got Teddy Bridgewater. And this is no knock on Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's like you say, he's a conservative, you know, down the line, steady quarterback. Picked up wins against the Jaguars and Giants, and obviously it's only week two. You can say what you want. Who knows if Giants and Jaguars go on a run? But at the moment, as we're looking at it, it's, it's two week teams. Do you with the division they're in? Obviously, it's your division with the Raiders. Can you see? Can you see Teddy Bridgewater getting them to a playoff with a tough AFC side? Do you know what it is? I I wonder how they're going to fare when they do go up against high powered offenses. You know, like an offense who are passing the ball thirty times a game which the Raiders are at this moment in time, and the Chiefs are. Because I don't know if I want to have the ball in Teddy's hands 30 times. I think it won't be Teddy that keeps them in them games. It'll be the defence that keeps them in them games. I think where most teams like the Raiders play the Chiefs and we go, let's go fire for fire. If you're scoring seven, we're going to score seven. And the first team to blink's going to lose it. You know what I mean? I think the Broncos will approach it very differently. I think the Broncos will almost approach it as in, like, let's eliminate the mistakes. Let's keep time of possession behind these two running backs and Teddy moving the ball efficiently on third down. And let's our defence keep us tight in these games so that we can win it by a field goal or by a score. 
I don't think they're going to go blow to blow with anybody, Jordan. I think they're going to try and use that defense to contain some of these high-powered offenses. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's a fair comment. So we're going to move on. And like, well, two I know... seconds before we move on, Jordan. On. Just want to touch on one more thing on this on this uh, Broncos team. And I was speaking to you about the Spurs earlier. You know about the value of a good offensive coordinator. And we were talking about Anthony Lane, who's at your Detroit Lions now. And I've never rated him as defensive as an offensive coordinator. I think he I think he's too predicated on run, and I think his concepts are very simple. Pat Shermer who's our offensive coordinator at the Broncos at this moment in time. He deserves some credit for what's going on here. You know, when he was at the Vikings in 2017, that was Dalvin Cook's rookie year. Dalvin Cook got injured about the fourth or fifth game in that season. And they lost, you know, like their main weapon. Pat Shermer was an offensive coordinator. He didn't blink. He took them to the number, the number two NFC seed. They had a top 10 scoring offense in case Keenum was their quarterback that year. So he's worked with quarterbacks who have limitations and he's already produced top 10 offenses and took a team to the NFC, you know, playoffs with the number two seed as well. He knows what it's like to make use of these players. I mean, he went to the Giants afterwards, tarnished his name a bit because he didn't do too good there. And now he's come to Broncos as the OC. But he's a smart game. He's calling. You only have to watch it to see that the offensive coordinator is sending clever players out there, which can't be said the same for the Jags. You know, David Bevel, who was the offensive coordinator for the, the Jaguars, the other team in this game, was doing no favours for Trevor Lawrence. What I saw in Trevor Lawrence in this game, not to touch on him too much because we're going to talk about them later on, is when they were in the game, Trevor Lawrence was brilliant. He was the first drive where they scored a touchdown. He was excellent. The second the game got ahead of them, Trevor Lawrence was trying to carry the whole team on his shoulders. And the offensive coordinator at that point should have been saying, let's get you some players. Let's get a screen in. Let's get a slant in. Let's get the discussion all involved. Because all I saw once we were chasing the book, the game was Trevor Lawrence going for bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. Because he was trying to get this team back into it. And a good offensive coordinator, David Bevel, another one who I don't read, another one of your ex-coordinators, should have been in his year and he should have been scheming up something different for the kid. Because he was really good when they were in the game. But Pat Shermer definitely knows how to definitely knows how to get a good offense out of a middling quarterback. He's done it with Case Keenum. And let's face it, Teddy Bridgewater's better than Case Keenum. Why can't he not get a top 10 scoring offense? With, with Teddy Bridgewater. I've done it before. I mean, the opponents he's played have been bang average at best. But you can only beat what's in front of you, can't you, Jordan? Yeah, uh, yeah, you'd be exactly right. Bones, did you want to add something on that? I know it was kind of... So, it was only a quick one that I agree entirely. Like, Daryl Bevel played, um, coordinated for us last year and uh, on the offense. And even I, a fan at home, could predict every single one of his play calls on an opening drive, like without fail. And it, it was just, it was a misery. I think he's way worse than Anthony Lynn on our conversation, you know, about coaches with bad play calling. I think, I think Daryl Bevel sucks, but that's just me. Right. Speaking, going up, moving on, speaking of someone that Bones doesn't think who sucks is uh, the Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. And I know these two guys have got quite a bit to say on each one here. So I'm going to, 
I'm sorry, Bones, I'm going to have to make you wait. I know how much you want to speak about him, but I know that um, Mark's got something interesting to say about Matthew Stavon and Cooper Cup. Yeah, just before we go on this game, is it me now? Are you going back to me now, are we? Yeah, you go for it. All right, no worries. I was reading an article. In fact, I wasn't. I was listening to a podcast. I have a feeling it was one of the West Coast podcasts that I listened to. It might have been Haberman and Middlecoff, you know, who cover the West Coast teams, the LA teams, the Vegas and the 49ers. They don't seem to talk too much about your team, Jordan. I don't know if they, I don't know if they cover them or not. But they cover those four teams mostly. And they were talking about Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford about the friendship that they've developed. And they were saying that two hours every morning they have breakfast together and they go through plays together. They play golf together. They've, they watch tape together. They, play, they practice extra plays after the game together. They've made a real investment in a friendship beyond their wide receiver and quarterback partnership. And it made us think, you know, about the great partnerships of the NFL. And I was thinking, is this what teams and quarterbacks should really be doing? You know, I was thinking about Gronk and Brady and their friendship. I was thinking about Marvin Harrison and Peyton Manning. To a lesser extent, I don't know if they were friends, but I know they spent a lot of time together. Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger. You know, when I when I think about the times that Ben Roethlisberger was just throwing the ball into triple coverage, and Antonio Brown was there to come pick it out, and there must have been some sort of bond where they go. It's not the ideal matchup, but I'm giving this guy a chance anyway. And I was thinking about Stafford and Cup and about their, their friendship that they've developed. And then, of course, I saw the stats from this game and I'm like, you know, it's worth talking about. It's worth talking about. You know, they're spending so much time together playing golf, having breakfast, you know, play, watching tape together and all sorts. When it comes to third down and you're third and nine, you're looking for that guy who you trust. For, for the Raiders, it's Renfro. Um, everyone's team's got one. It would have been Doug Baldwin for your for your team back in the day. You're looking for that guy you trust. And Stafford's clearly got a trust in golf and it's paying dividends. You know, because Robert Woods isn't seeing the ball. You know what I mean? It's couples getting the ball. And it's, there's got to be something in those friendships that people develop, you know? Right. I, I totally agree. I think that like we mentioned just off air before we came on that I said that DK and Russell Wilson in DK's um, second season you know, like spent a lot of uh, time in the offseason. I think he went and lived with him, you know, like at his house. And you saw how much that benefited, you know, especially the early early years, DK Metcalf, you know, early games in the season, sorry. You know, obviously he, he tailed off a bit at the end, but he still was one of the top receivers, the top yards. I, th I think I'm sure we finished top five in, in yards in the end up, maybe just outside. But it can only benefit you, can't you? You're living with each other, you're getting to know each other, you, 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 you're talking about players constantly, you know, you know, the love of the game and stuff, and it's all just going to buzz on, off each other, isn't it? And I'm a big Cooper Cup fan anyway, and I think um, I, I think he did something similar with Jared Goff. I think they room together, and I think they were good friends. And obviously, you say what you want about Jared Goff, you know, like as, as a player, but it's it's only going to benefit you. And um, like I said, I'm a big Cooper Cup fan, and it's only a few years ago where he came off an ACL injury, and he's still playing at top, top, Level, um, you know, as a wide receiver, he's, he's one of he's one of the but the one of the best wide receivers in the league, in my opinion. It just doesn't get talked about enough, really. Um, obviously, looking on the other side of Matthew Stafford, there's no better person to talk about Matthew Stafford here than the um, Lions fan in Bones. What have you you seen at the Rams with with Stafford? How how, how is he progressing over there? So, I mean, Stafford. Stafford plays how Stafford plays. It's not changed much since when he was at the Lions. Like we did see a pick this week, but then Stafford is like 
in my opinion, like your quintessential gunslinger quarterback. He's probably going to throw a couple picks in a year. That's just how it's going to be. He's never going to have no interceptions on the year. However, you mentioned the Cooper Cup relationship. I also heard stuff about this and the fact like they they will stay after practice or they'll get there early and they'll do extra route running to practice together or just them two. And it shows, like you said, it really shows when you look just at the statistics alone for this week, it shows how much that's been working for them. And yeah, I mean, this team's backed up by, it's been backed up by a good running game so far. They've been able to play the play action game. They've been able to do all the things that I really do think Stafford plays well into. He's, you know, he's a really good pocket passer and, but he's also shown that he can still play that McVay rollout offense as well. Like he's not just going to, he doesn't have to just stay in the pocket. It might be all you've seen of him in Detroit. It might be all anyone's ever bothered to do with him, but he can do a bit of play action rollout. He's not terrible at it. Um, I mean, it was his first big play of the season was a play-action rollout, and he just bombed it for, like, 70-odd yards or something daft. Like, I, I, it's, my bias is showing, obviously, because I absolutely love Matt Stafford, and I'll, I'll, I'll happily die on that hill. But, yeah, this team is no slouch in most areas, though. Like, that's the fact of it. Like, their defense is one of the better defenses in the league. They're, like I say, their running game has been good so far, and their receivers are solid. Like, Cooper Cup's had the majority of the work so far, but... You know, Van Jefferson and Robert Woods just behind him are still, you know, they're still getting some yards per game. I think as the as this team beds together more, because let's not remember, this is his first year in this offense. I think part of what you're saying about the friendship thing, I think that's huge when you, especially when you're brand new to a team, like, because you, you don't really know anyone. Like, once you've been in the team a few years, you'll probably build enough relationships to have people to throw to, like, regularly. But when you're brand new, you want to go out of your way to make like you say, make friends and find someone that you can you can rely on in those important situations. Cooper Cup had was just open whenever he needed him this game. Like Stafford just you could see it. Like he'd throw a dime to Cup and Cup was just there and had it like barring that one interception play where it looked like he might have overthrown him a little bit. Um yeah, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. You know you made a really good point there, Bones, about players going into new places. Matthew Stafford's a been an NFL pro for a long time. He's not new to the game. But this is still a new playbook for him. This is still a new playbook for him. And McVeigh's playbook comes from John Gruden. He used a lot of the same verbiage as John Gruden, which means that it's not an easy playbook to get down. It's got long verbiage. You know, like, it, 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 it's not just like, you know, like a three-word verbiage. It's like seven or eight words with Yankee and all sorts chucked into the middle of it, like, you know. Calling players is, and it must mean something when he can go, fuck the play. I'm just going to look for me, mate. I'm just going to look for this guy. I'm going to call it, and I don't care what the primary read is. He's the guy I'm looking at. And it means that when new quarterbacks are coming into new systems, they can't just trust one guy and they can't just go, I, I, I know him. I know which way he's going to break on choice routes. I know which way he's going to go on this. You know, like he, he knows that the play's breaking down. I'm scrambling. I'm scrambling. He knows to work his way back to his. Instead of working his way away from us, come back towards the line scrimmage and Cup knows that. The thing I like about Cup is he can play all three wide receiver positions. You'll see him lined up at X. You'll see him lined up at Y in the slot. You'll see him lined up at Z. And it's very rare nowadays that you'll get these kind of wide receivers. And Bobby Woods is the same. Robert Woods is the same. He'll line up all over the place. And I think McVeigh appreciates that. Where you know, you can be in the huddle and you can be calling a play and the defence on the other side 
Can't tell who the typical X, Y, or Z is because at any one point, it can be a number of them kind of thing, like, you know. Um, Van Jefferson's coming in this offense, although the stats haven't shown. But he's the same as the other two. He'll play X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? He can play a big slot. He can play a Z. He can get off press. He can play, you know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's creative. It's McVeigh. This is what McVeigh does well. And what really surprises me about this team, it doesn't matter who they lose. Les Sneed does an amazing job in the draft for these because he just gets these fourth and fifth round players, you know, like and goes, oh, we've just lost our safety. Let's slot another lad in. Oh, we've... Because obviously they have to because they're investing in big name talent. But what they're doing is they're getting a lot of production in lesser positions from fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh round players, which is, God, testimony to Les Sneed and his drafting and his general management of this team, you know? It's like you said there, people like like when people move on, look at Josh Johnson moving on, but they've just picked, obviously, I, play, I mentioned it because it's a player I know, you know, Tyler Rapp, you know, at safety was having a, a couple of good games from, you know, traded him quite late from the Washington Huskies, you know, so uh, he's, he is really good, Les Snead. I hate to say it with him being in the same division as he is really good in the draft. I know you touched on McVeigh and Stafford there, you know, like obviously Cam Akers went down when we were running back, you know, Mark, you know, in, in, in the season. I haven't seen much of the Rams yet. What it could be aimed at both of you. I don't know who's seen more Rams. I'll start with you, Mark. But is Stafford reliable in this West Coast offense if this running game is working? I don't know how it's worked out so far at the moment, but it's it's like you said, it's a complicated uh, it's a complicated offense to get thingy. And I'm not saying Stafford's a clever guy, but when it becomes like these West, when it becomes these West NFC West head you know head to head matches, is he going to survive in them games? I think Stafford's generally got the arm and the mentality and the NFL savvy to be able to go toe for toe with any quarterback in the NFL. It'll keep a lot of teams in the game. What is impressive with McVeigh's offense is the way they run the ball. Now, obviously, you know, like they had Todd Gurley and Todd Gurley was doing that. The move from Todd Gurley and they moved into Cam Akers and a stable of backs, Malcolm Brown and players like that, who were able to generate yardage there. Then Akers has got injured, and now it's Henderson who's coming in, and he's generating yardage. They've made a really clever pickup in Sony Michelle. We'll probably see him at some point over the next few weeks. And McVeigh just has such good concepts of how to be able to create running lanes and, and stuff like that, and causing and using, utilizing play action and bootlegs to keep the, the, the opposing defense on its toes. Yeah, that, look, they might not have a big name at running back. But as much as like the San Francisco 49ers who are also in your division and arguably the Green Bay Packers. So you've got three head coaches there who all came from the same, you know, like tree, Shanahan, LeFleur and McVeigh. And when you look at the running style that then teams adopt, it's all very exotic. It's all very shift and move. It's You can play Aaron Jones one week and then the next week Dylan can come in and Dylan's putting up 150 yards. We all know what the 49ers are doing. And the Rams are the same. I don't know if they need to have a big name back there. I think they'll they'll find who works best in what situation and they'll they'll ride that back week to week. And I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing Sony Michelle coming in and doing more because he's get he either picked up the playbook now. Um he might be he might be starting sooner than later, I think, you know. Yeah, I think um I think you're right. I do think McVeigh's offense is one of those offenses that people talk about as being, you know, a really good offense. I, I, 
I do have to come back to that. I think Stafford is good enough as well to play at this. I know I'm probably, again, more biased than either of you about it, but it, there were passes even this week. There was an there was one where the play broke down, like Mark was saying. The pocket looked like it was collapsing, and Stafford just throws a sidearm to cup like 10 yards, and it's an absolute... The ball's perfect. It's on a rope. Like The guy's got the arm. He's always throwing like absolute dimes to people. Like He's going to throw a couple interceptions. Rams fans, don't get worried. He's going to throw picks. It's Matthew Stafford. He will. He's a gunslinger. But this guy's got an arm, and he's going to hit people on point. And yeah, the running game, I mean, like you say, there's, there's a few teams now we're seeing this from where if you've got the right scheme, you've got the right line in front of them, you can have these rotational backs, and you can just keep it going. Um, I mean, yeah, there's quite a few teams doing it now, isn't there, really? Like, I think the Patriots are a good example. Like you say, these are the um, ones that came from the same tree as McVeigh, LaFleur, and Shanahan also have that thing. But yeah, we're seeing it more and more across the whole league, I think, now. And I think it's, yeah, I definitely think the Rams team have got it. I think we're going to see um, a little bit more of what the Rams are about over the next three games. They've got the Bucks and Cardinals at home, and then they go they go to the Seahawks. So they're three like, really tasty games coming up for them. Oh, our final um, stock up is. Um, Carolina Panthers and um, and what they've done. Obviously, they've gone two and zero early on, beating the Saints on Sunday. Obviously, Saints had a lot, of, a few injuries, you know, with COVID and stuff as well, you know. So they were missing a few players. But I just want to touch on Sam Darnold, and obviously, I move on to Bones after. I know he watched again. Sam Darnold has has um, he's looked brilliant, you know, like in the in the two games, you know, a totally different player, a ghost of the player of what he was at Jets. And obviously, we all can. Um, touch on you, know, you all know why that is you know like looking at the jets we don't want to go into too much detail with that but i just look at this um new um sam darnold and he's just cutting out the mistakes i think in the saints game he had one silly mistake you know where he threw the ball and it were like it, it was it was just a daft play and he was making loads of them at the jets and and that's what he's done. He's gone over to the Panthers, and and he's a he's a good quarterback, and they've just knocked out the mistakes. And you can see that he's made some. He'll, he'll make some fantastic plays, you know, some fantastic passes across his body, you know, going through his reads, like I said. And obviously, you got Matt Rule there, who's a, who's a fantastic coach. But I just want to give credit to Joe Brady. I think Joe Brady is a fantastic offensive coordinator. It's not going to be long until he gets a big NFL job, you know, um, and. He's, I, for me personally, I think he's one of the main reasons why Darnold's doing so well there. You, we saw what he did with Joe Burrow, you know, at LSU, you know, in, in college, you know, through there. And he's just keeping it simple. And these mistakes have just like been knocked out of, of Sam Darnold. And that to me shows how good of a quarterback he was. Like if you've watched college at USC, we saw that he was a good quarterback. And if you can knock out the mistakes, which they have done, you've got a good player there in Sam Darnold. And we we know what re weapons the Panthers have got. You know, obviously, with McCaffrey back this season, is going to be a massive help. You know, you've got Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, two, another two underappreciated wide receivers there. You know, re really good stretching of the field and also good route runners coming inside. DJ Moore, especially coming on with the slants and stuff, he's really good. So, yeah, I just wanted to touch on Sam Darnold and that Joe Brady um, connection because I think that's a, a big thing for it, really. I'm a big Joe Brady fan. I think that's a big, big, big thing there. And I think it's like Matt Rule just lets kind of, obviously, He'll have some say, but I think he kind of leaned, lets Joe Brady do his thing, and that's like it's a good thing for for Sam for Sam Darnold and 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 for the Panthers. I know you watched this game as well, Bones, and like I know you're having a, a quarterback struggles at, at Detroit Lions, where someone's come from somewhere and who hasn't been playing well. Sam Darnold's come from the Jets, like we said, and not playing well. But does it show? Is this good coaching or is it just and bad coaching from the Jets? 
or is it the fact that like he was a good player all along? You know, or is it a bit of both? I think I think you made some really good points. I do think it's probably a bit of both. I think the the Joe Brady point is a fantastic point because this guy was on our underdogs last week, and I talked about him and um, had a bit of a deeper look into his stats last week than I did this week. But looking briefly over them. So last week, Sam Darnold was like nearly 100% on passes less than 10 yards, and they weren't all dump-offs to McCaffrey. They were under 10 yards, but they weren't all dump-offs to McCaffrey. And I think, looking at the numbers, it looks like it was. It felt like, especially watching the game as well, it was much the same this week. Most of the passes were shorter passes. The, Joe Brady's not trying to ask Dan, Sam Darnold to bomb this like 70 yards down the field. His longest pass is only 57 yards. Like, it's still a long pass, don't get me wrong, but... That was week one, so he didn't have anything longer this week. They're not asking him to go that far down the field. And based on how he played in week one, that would be the sensible way to scheme going forward with Sam Donald. He's clearly done well in that shorter to mid-range passing area. So keep giving him plays that go there. It's working. It's not... I say First week, we were talking about, is it all Christian McCaffrey? Is Christian McCaffrey the X-Factor here? And I definitely think he's still a big part of this offense, but... DJ Moore has more receptions than McCaffrey. He's got more yards than him in the passing game now. McCaffrey's all, still seeing basically all the rushing downs, but that's to be expected. And I, can, I think that adds to why we sometimes say, oh, McCaffrey does all the work in this team is because he does do all the rushing work and then he does, you know, he's the, basically their wide receiver too at the same time. But DJ Moore is doing really well. Robbie Anderson and, and Sam Darnold still have that connection from the Jets, like I mentioned last week. I do think this offense has potential and yeah i think they're just going to keep scheming him this not dink and dunk but like just progressive methodical let's get down the field kind of plan and it's it's probably going to keep working so far it seems yeah you're absolutely right there you know with a, with a, with a short like fields and stuff because he's an accurate flower um sam darnold he, he, and these players that they've like we've mentioned there can give him just like half a yard and if he gets it accurately these guys will hold on to the ball some of the offensive players they've got, we've mentioned there, but they've got like the, what they've drafted this year in Tuba Hubbard, Marshall, Terence Marshall Jr. and, you know, um, tight end Tommy Tremble, you know, they've, they've got a really good offense going there and stuff. And obviously with Sam Darnold coming in, I, I don't know what the long long plan is. Obviously, if Sam Darnold does well, it could be that way. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But something that's really good that they've got going is the defense. And obviously, Matt's going to touch on these um, young players they've got there, the first, second rounder. So I'll, I'll let... Um, I'll let, Paul, I'll let uh, Mike talk about talk about them. Yeah, well, at the minute, the Panthers have got the number one defence in the NFL. And I know we want to talk about the offence. And listen, look, Joe, this is a, we're seeing this about Pat Shermer. This is the value of a good offensive coordinator. I'm just going to quickly say that again. You know, in some situations, particularly where it's quarterbacks, we want to blame the quarterback. But the truth of the matter is, is how is the offensive coordinator helping them? You've only got to look at Carr and what Gruden's scheming for Carr at the moment. Lots of quick, short passes. He knows the running line's not there. He knows the pass protection's not there. And he's given Carr lots of options to pass the ball out. And it's death by paper at the minute for most teams. And that's the value of a good offensive coordinator. We all want to see. We all want to pin it on the quarterback. But sometimes they're not getting the coordinator's help to make them in a good situation. And I think what we're seeing in Darnold, is we're seeing he's getting that help from a good coordinator. To go back to the original question, Jordan, about the defence, this Panthers day is stacked with talent. It is stacked with talent. And what people don't realise is, is it's their own talent. 
Like they've built this defense largely through the draft. You'll remember Matt Rule's first draft as the head coach of the Panthers. He selected all defensive players. He didn't select one single offensive player. And what we're seeing now is we're seeing that become the backbone of this team again this year. First, first pick, Joe Horns, um, your JC Horn, Joe Horn's son, JC Horn, corner, got an interception. You know what I mean? We're looking at this team now, and what we're seeing is we're seeing that early investment in their team and how it's paying off. And they're mega cheap on that side of the ball. So what it means, it means that, you know, when Hassan Reddick comes up as a free agent off the back of leading the NFL in sacks last year, we'll have him. We'll take a splash on him because we've got Brian Burns, who's on a rookie contract, and Utah Gross Martos, who's on, a, who's on a rookie contract. And we'll, we'll have this big ticket free agent. And their defense is number one in the NFL. They're currently ranked number one in total yardage. They've only conceded 380 yards over two games. You know, and, and one of that's been against the Saints, you know, who just destroyed the Green Bay Packers. Um, they've only conceded 287 passing yards. What a difference JC Horn's making. They were one of the worst pass defenses this year, and through two games, they're the best team, they're the best, the best pass defense in, in, in the NFL. They've only allowed 93 rushing yards all season, Jordan. Only 93 rushing yards all season as teams allowed. They lead the NFL with 10 sacks. What's more impressive is eight different players have recorded a sack. You know, so they're not just relying on one person to get home, like what Chandler Jones was doing a few weeks back for Arizona. They're spreading it around. Derek Brown's got a sack. Uh, Utah Gross Martos and Fox have got half a sack each. You've got Reddick, who's their big ticket free agent. He's leading them with three sacks. You've got Brian Burns, who's got two sacks. And you look around this team and you go, the key players are their own. Jeremy Chin, Derek Brown, Utah Gross uh, Matos, Fox, um, JC Horn, Brian Burns, all being acquired themselves through the draft, all on rookie contracts, which makes this team in a really good state. Because when that draft capital starts paying off early, Obviously, you make use of it. They're probably in a Super Bowl window. We said it at the preseason. We said preseason. The Panthers will be an eight and nine, a nine and eight team. But they'll be a Super Bowl contender by year three. Everything's going to plan. They're looking at that and they'll probably go, yeah, we'll push for the playoffs this year. We might fall a little bit short when all the dust settles. You know what I mean? But next year, next year, watch out. Watch out, because this Panthers team is fast emerging. And that defense is young, and it's already the number one defense in the NFL. And I think it's probably going to stay there as well. I think Burns is a superstar in the making. We all know how I feel about Derek Brown. Auburn's own Derek Brown. We know what I feel about Chin and about Horn and Utah Gross Matos. You know, this is a young, good defense and it's going to be around for a long time um yeah they're, they're just you know they must they must be looking and thinking exactly how we drew it up in our head exactly how we drew it up in our head the owners rubbing his hands matt rule you said it right joe and he's so hands off he just lets us coordinate as coordinate he's used to being a college program he manages the the team and the dresser room and the interactions and 
the discipline. And he goes, Joe Brady, I trust you. I'm not too sure who that defensive coordinator is. His name Phil, slipped my mind. Phil, Phil Snow in it, Phil Snow. There you go. I, I, sorry, I, it slipped my mind. But obviously, he's letting them do what they do best. And they're generating a good offense and a really, really, really good defense. This team is playing tonight. I fear for the life of Davis Mills, who's going to be, you know, like, you know, it, they've got Larry Tunsil, you know, who's a good, who's, who's a very good left tackle. But I don't think it matters who Brian Burns goes up against. He's that long, he's that fast, he's that quick. Such a if he was on a different team than the Panthers, he'd be a superstar by now. The kid's unbelievable to watch, you know. Um, I love Brian Burns. Can't wait to see it. Can we are progress because it's just a hell of a player. And Derek Brown as well in the middle of that defensive line is just becoming every inch of the player I said he would before preseason. He's just it's just becoming every single inch of a brilliant NFL defensive tackle in the run and pass game. Um, there's a lot to be envious about the Panthers. Um, and I know we all want to look at the offense, but this defense is absolutely legit. Lights out legit. No, I, I totally agree. I think um, we've all mentioned it before the season started, how much we're looking forward to the Panthers. And we can see how, how you were speaking about them, how much you like them, Mark. You know, it, it's like I, I'm a big Seahawk fan, obviously, but I just look at this Panthers defence, like you said, especially, you know, it's just not hard to get excited and want to watch them. And you, and you mentioned some great points there and some great stats and stuff. And, you know, like the the, the running game you mentioned, they held Alvin Kamara to 30 um, scrimmage yards on Sunday. 30 scrimmage yards. I know they went up early, 17-0 thingy, but they still rely on Alvin Kamara out the backfield, you know, for passing. 30 scrimmage yards. I think um, I read somewhere as well that they're averaging 3 point only. The two through the two games, it's three point seven yards per play. That's all they're averaging against in these teams. So yeah, I, I'm I'm like you, you know, I can't um, I, I can't watch. I can't wait to look forward to watching them each week. I know they're against the Texans tonight. It could be a bloodbath, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, it's really good. Bones, I know you wanted to say something about um about Pams. Everyone's saying good stuff about them. You might as well join the party. Yeah, I mean, there was something Mark touched on that I did want to come back to quickly that often goes overlooked with teams and it's financials so like like mark mentioned a lot of these players are on rookie deals which is massively important for the panthers going forward because if this team works and if they do go into next year planning on having like a super bowl year then this is a great position to be in because the rumor going into last off season was all right the salary cap went down this year because of the covid year but due to new tv deals and stuff the salary is going to be higher than ever before next year supposedly we'll see if it pans out but that was the rumor and if that is true and the salary cap is going to be higher than ever before and the panthers have still got a good portion of their talent on rookie deals they're going to be able to go out and maybe grab a couple of big name free agents and really make a push for the super bowl if this team pans out if sam donald works out and everything comes together and yeah financials are massive in the game of football because of the salary cap situation you can only have so many star players on big deals i know we've seen some salary cap gymnastics over the last year at least and it's getting more and more but it's still there. It still exists, and it's a, it's an important point to hit on. And I was really thought it was worth coming back to. Yeah, um, good point there, Bones. You know, like like, like we mentioned, it's stuff to be excited about. And obviously, they put so much pressure on the Saints. Um, a good Saints offensive line, and we saw the old James Winston come back. Obviously, we've got to touch on this real quick. He's not on our stock down, but. Two intercept through two interceptions and they were just absolutely ridiculous interceptions. It's like you have no right to throw them balls up, you know, like and, and, and wang them. 
I think he had a he, he lost a fumble as well. You know, it, it, as soon as you put pressure on James Winston, it crumbles. Uh, we saw that at Tampa at Tampa Bay. Obviously, we know he can throw the ball. We know he can throw the ball downfield. You know, and if you give him time, he won't punish you. But as soon as you put pressure on him, he crumbles under the pressure and he panics. Mark. Yeah, you know, like we, we touched on this, you know, like with quarterbacks with no common sense. And we touched on it with Drew Locke. And this is what Winston is. He's a quarterback with no common sense. He's got all the attributes in the world. But you know what? He's, he's a bit like the scarecrow. If only I had a brain. You know, he wants to be on the yellow brick road on his way to see the Wizard of Oz asking for a brain. Because the kid's thick. He's thick as mince. It's not that he needed laser eye surgery. It's not that he was in a vertical offense. It's that he's dense. He's absolutely dense. The solace in college, and we'll see this now. You know, like, he, there's times where you're like, don't, you're third and 20. Don't, you don't need to look for 20 yards. Dump it off for five and take the field position. But he's out there slinging the ball and the pressure. It's like the ball turns into a hot potato the second that there's any pass rush around him. He's lucky that the Saints have got a good offensive line, but they've got diced up this game. And what the saws were saw, James Winston throwing the ball into triple, quadruple coverage, no luck passes. The can't have been luck passes because he was absolutely shocking. You know what I mean? If he was looking, any NFL quarterback would go, don't throw it there. You know, you know, and, and, and he's it's he's it's 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 between his ears. It's between his ears where he's lacking. He's 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 stupid, he's dense. This is this is this is what it is. This is why we didn't put Jameis Winston on our stock up last week. This is why Jameis Winston isn't any longer a quarterback at the time of being Buccaneers, who drafted him number one overall. And he and they, and they let him have his rookie deal and shipped him out. Not many teams will do that. You know what I mean? And it's because he hasn't got the common sense to be an NFL quarterback. You'll be entertaining. You'll throw some touchdowns. But he'll continue to make boneheaded decisions because he's not smart enough. And he'll continue to throw touchdowns and... He'll continue to throw lots of interceptions. He'll continue to be frustrating as ever. And I think the Saints will probably be off his bandwagon before the end of this year. He won't be a long-term quarterback there because he's not good enough. I, I doubt he'll be a long-term quarterback anywhere until somebody actually probably gives him a lobotomy, takes out part of his brain and puts a part of Teddy Bridgewater's in there instead. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think I need to add anything more on that. I think it was summed up perfectly by Mark there. Um, let's move on to Stockdown um, then this week. And obviously, he mentioned dense there, which is another word for heavy. And at the top, we've got Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers' offense. You know, I know you watch this game, Mark. You know, he's, we know he's an old lad, but there is no movement there from Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, I know in the out, outside of in the chats, you've mentioned his arm. And they've got some good wide receivers. They've got a good some good wide receivers there, you know, at, at, at Steelers. You know, what is it? Should he have should he have retired last year? Is, is it one year too much for Ben Roethlisberger? Look, his arm's gone. His arm's gone. I was watching this game with I was in my Raiders chat, and I was saying I fancied this, I fancied the Raiders to have a pick or two in this game. We ended up getting one pick, and I said because Ben can't throw outside the hashes anymore. Can't throw outside the hashes anymore. You know, like, it's what we saw with Drew Brees. Now, what Ben hasn't got, what Drew Brees has got, is Drew Brees was never really uh, outside the hashes downfield passer. He was very surgical in those short intermediate routes. So even when he went 
even when he went, his arm went, he could still be functional. Ben Roethlisberg at this moment in time, he's always been a vertical quarterback and he can't make vertical throws. So what he's now having to learn is he's having to learn to be a short intermediate quarterback and, and he can't do it. There's a lot to be said here about Ben and his career. When I look back over Big Ben's career, there were so many plays where he was bailed out by Antonio Brown. You know, where Antonio Brown was the, the best wide receiver on football and Ben would be throwing the ball into double coverage, triple coverage, and somehow Antonio Brown would be getting the ball. You know, and it was more Antonio Brown than Ben in them situations. Obviously, he hasn't got that now. Antonio Brown's at Pat's Chesney, he's at Tampa Bay via Oakland and via New England. You know, like, and Ben's got a decent wide receiving trio, to be honest with you. But he hasn't got Antonio Brown. And he hasn't got the arm that he had anymore. And look, he should have retired because this offense is, he didn't have a good, I know they beat the Bills the first game, but look, that wasn't Ben, that was the defense. And he couldn't put points up against the Raiders. He couldn't make throws outside. Casey Haywood, Damon Arnett, Trayvon Mullen, all had past breakups. You know what I mean? And and and, it, and yeah, the Raiders defense is much improved. But to be honest with you, outside the hashes, Ben was absolutely dreadful. He was absolutely dreadful. Um, for me, he's, he's, had, he's had shoulder surgeries, had some labrum issues. At the minute, he's doing, at the minute, he's holding back this. Steelers team as a point of ascending to them. They haven't to compensate for them. Do you know what Ben's best players at this moment in time? Throwing the ball 20 yards downfield and hoping that's a pass into Fjallman's call. That's what that's what his best players. That's what his long ball is now. His deep ball is now not trying to throw it to a wide receiver. It's hoping that there's a flag and there's a pass into Fjallman's call. And there is chunk yardage. I think somebody was seeing against the Bills, in fact, this season. The Steelers' two biggest plays have been two pass interception flags, one for 33 yards and one for 38 yards against the Bills. And they're their two longest offensive plays, and they were both PI flags. And that's what Ben's game is now. I'm not going to be able to get it down there, but I'm going to throw it down there anyway, and let's just hope that the that the cornerback's got gravity on me wide receiver. Um, definitely holding them back. Look, it, it's it's really it's really bad to watch, but it's great to watch because I hate the Steelers. You know what I mean? But it's like it's it's really bad to watch if you're a Steelers fan. Like you know, they're not going to make the playoffs this year to play football like they did against us. No, um, sh sh obviously showing your love for the Steelers there, Mike. Yeah, but like like I said, I think you mentioned the Ben Roethlisberger there. How many times, especially in the um, Antonio Brown here, how many times did he used to throw a long ball down and it was only a touchdown? even just when Juju Smith-Schuster used to come in. And like you, you mentioned the Bills game there. I think I heard somewhere that against the um, against the Raiders, I think he had one throw for over 40 yards, you know, in that game. That, that's it. That's that's not that's not what the big Ben I know, you know, from over the years, you know. And if you're chasing a game, you know, it's, you're going to need someone with a strong arm eventually. And, and as stupid as it sounds, I see Dwayne Haskins on that bench, you know, could he come in and do a better job, you know, than him? You know, he, he looked all right in the preseason. Granted, it's only preseason, but there's a loyal. There seems like a loyalty there between Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger. But how long can that loyalty last if you're not winning games? You know, like if you're not, if he's going to keep struggling like this, you know, surely he's going to. He's brought Dwayne Haskins in for a reason. You know, like I, I know he was, he was 
out of favour at Washington. He, was, he didn't have a team, but obviously he's seen something in him to bring him in, you know, like, so how long does this carry on? Because like, I'm, I'm with you, Mark. I just, I can't see it getting any better for the Steelers, you know, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I, I think I'd, I'd love to say say that I think Dwayne Haskins come in, but I just don't know how how much loyalty there is there with it. And I, I, it's as a coach, you've got to make these decisions. This is there's going to be a tough decision for Tomlin, you know, to make, and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens there. You know, like I say, the Steelers' defense has kept him in games. You know that we know how good the Steelers' defense is. Basically, the Steelers' defense won him that game in the, against the Bills in the first week. And you see it all the time. You know, the defense can only hold on for so long. I've seen it in Seattle so for, for many years. The defense can hold out for long, and then in the fourth quarter, there's only so much they can hold out for. They're going to an offense is going to start putting yards on them, and it's um, it's disturbing times for to be honest with you for the Steelers. You know, so it's especially in a tough division as well. So it's an interesting one to watch. You know. So move, I think that's enough on Steelers. I think Mark's already said that he, he despises them. So we'll move on. Um, we'll, we'll move on to Urban Meyer um, at the Jacksonville Jaguars. And obviously, I know Mark watched this game. We all know Urban Meyer. Well, especially in the college game, if you watch it, we know about Urban Meyer. We know that he came into the NFL. And um, I can't remember which which team it was now, to be honest with you. But he, uh, he, he, he scarpered quickly. You know, he said he had um, health issues. And obviously, the USC job coming up in um, in college, it's like, it seems like maybe it's turned his head, maybe. And there's already talk of him leaving. Like, the Jaguars have come out and shut that down straight away, you know. So, it'll be interesting to see because USC is a really top job in college. For people who don't follow college, USC is the USC job is, is a, a, I wouldn't be able to put a percent on it, on it, but it's bigger than a lot of NFL jobs, you know. So, it's really one to watch out for. And obviously, with the Jaguars start, you know, with um, I know he's brought Trevor Lawrence in with the Jaguars start. You know, it's it's interesting. I know, Mark. Like I say, Mark, I'll move on to you. You watch this game, and that you can touch on Urban Meyer as well before you jump into into the game. What what do you think? I mean, make no bones about it, Jordan. That USC job is a massive job. USC are the powerhouse of West Coast college football, and what we've seen over the years, at least since Pete Carroll left, is we've seen all that West Coast young talent go East Coast and sign for Ohio, and sign for Alabama, and sign for uh, Clemson, and the Georgia Bulldogs that you're wearing. It's a lovely T-shirt, that, that, that Jordan there, you know? And, and what we've seen is we've, we've seen all these players go over from the West Coast to the East Coast, and it's pissed USA off, because USA should be doing all their recruiting in that California area. And they need to go and they, they're looking for a big name and there's no bigger name than Urban Meyer in the college game. You know what I mean? Though? When we think about what he did at Utah and what he did with Florida and what he did later on with Ohio State, you know, this is a this is a premium college, you know, like, you know, recruiter. In USA, you know, like, rightly so, arguably one of the five biggest college programs going. You know, I'm trying to think who would be bigger. But obviously, Alabama and Ohio would be, you could argue, Clemson at this moment in time. But I'll tell you what, I'd be putting USC number four then. You know what I mean, though? You're talking about a big program, and it's certainly bigger than most NFL jobs. And I think, yeah, I think Urban Meyer probably does think, you know, do I need this heat? Do I need this? Do I need to be doing this? I, 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 think, I think what has confused me most of all is Irvin Myers come into the NFL and he has not brought 
any of his college concepts in with him. He's got, he said the other day that he's not running a college playbook for Trevor Lawrence because he has to learn how to play like an NFL pro. But what he's doing really is then he's negating what made him great. He's not got any spread offense. He's not got any no huddle. He's not got, you know, he's trying to be an NFL play caller when really his whole career has been in the college game. And he's using this excuse like, well, I'm trying to make Trevor Lawrence understand what it means to play quarterback in the NFL. And I'm like, it's just all very confusing to me. It just doesn't seem right. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Urban Meyer retires from the NFL and goes to USC in the next month or two, you know? Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would like to say he's got a track record of... Um... Of, of things in the past you know like i can't remember like i said i'm trying to think of the team but he, he he went scurrying away back back from the nfl you know um before we like i said with uh, health problems it's like you mentioned bringing the college over you know i haven't seen much of of, of, of the jaguars but it's certain stuff he has brought over college doesn't work now until i'm sure i've saw him go for a, a, a fourth down if he's you know in his own half you know, like and it <laughs> turned the ball over. This, this is NFL. It's not college. You know, we see in the college all the time people going for like on fourth down with, with, with like on short. You know, two yards, one yards. But and play, yeah, it's gutsy. But you've got to play the game. This is the NFL. It's not college anymore as well. But I do agree with like bringing certain aspects over from college as well that do work. It's, I'm not. I'm not sure where his game plan or what his mind is is, is like. You know, obviously we, we mentioned in the past before the season start with the Tim Tebow. You know. You know, but for Sackle, you know, it's like I'm not. I'm not sure on Urban Meyer. I've, I've always been skeptical of him before, and it's just it's like you mentioned with um, with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback, and you shouldn't have to show him how to be a quarterback. You know, let give him give him the give him the ball and let him and let him make plays. I know you said um, off air, Mark, that he's, he's maybe doing too much with the ball. Um, Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, instead of just playing the game. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, they're asking too much of them. They ask what they're doing is they're, is they're basically expecting him, a rookie, as talented as he is, to, to have this whole team on his back. He's not using the Viscational as the Viscational should be used. You know what I mean? No, the def, the defense is offering very little. You know, like they're not they need a tight end. They've got O'Shaughnessy or something like that, a tight end. I'm surprised this team didn't trade for Zach Ertz because. When we were talking about with Matthew Stafford having a trusted target in Cooper Cup, who is who is Trevor Lawrence's trusted target at this point in his career? You know, he's you pick number one in the draft because you're a bad team, and one quarterback isn't going to fix it. You know, like he needs he needs somebody he can build a rapport with. He is working quite well with Marvin Jones. There was some players in this game where he made some nice passes to Marvin Jones. But LaVisca Chenault has got more promise than what Urban Meyer is using for. I was really excited to see LaVisca Chenault and Urban Meyer come together because Urban Meyer's had Percy Harvin, Braxton Miller. He's had all these brilliant gadget players. And I thought, can't wait to see Urban Meyer and LaVisca Chenault. You know what? It's like, it's, it's, he's, he's not using them as I thought he would have used them. You know, like he's not, there's, you know, he's not even using like Debo Samuels used in uh, the 49ers. He's, there's no in and arounds. There's no sweeps. There's no screens. It's all like let's get let's get let's get the Viscashanol in a media intermediate running route and let's try and hit him there. And you're like, 
yeah, you can do that, but what about all this weird stuff he does, you know, like behind the line of scrimmage? And it's like, um, yeah, Lawrence, is, Lawrence isn't really getting any favours there. And, of course, I don't like his offensive coordinator. And Urban Meyer isn't giving him any college looks. He's not giving him any college concepts, um, which is baffling to me. I look, Trevor Lawrence is a really good quarterback, and there's times in this game where you go, oh, wow, that's why he was number one pick, and that's why everybody loves him. Really talented quarterback. Some throws he was making, which were dirty when the Jags were in the game. That first drive, if you're, if you're watching or listening to this pod, go go watch the first drive of the Jags game against the Broncos. They put seven points up, and like they're third and 13 at different times, and Lawrence is just pinging balls, keeping the drive alive on third down. You know what I mean? And then scoring a touchdown, you're throwing a touchdown throw. But once the game got behind them and Lawrence was asked to carry the team, asking a bit much of this would be like, give him a hand, give him a hand, scheme up some players that he's familiar with, for Christ's sake, like, you know? No, like I say, they've got some good wives here. They've got DJ Chark there as well. It was like, good, you know, I, I saw Urban Mike come out and saying, I want to get DJ Chark more, more touches. Well, no, go do it then. You know what I mean? So, do something about it for God's sake. You know, just you, you've come from college, like we've mentioned, like like Max mentioned, come from college, dial something up, do something different. You know, I don't. Know. Well, it's one to watch anyway with Urban Meyer. Like I say, it, it, it will be interesting that it'd be hard not to turn down the USC job. I know, like it's it's only been there a bit at, at the Jaguars and people see him running away, but it'll be forgotten about if if he if he does go there anyway. If he does stuff, if he does. Good stuff with USC. So moving on to the third and final um, stock down, it's uh, our, our old friend Carson Wentz and, um, and and the Colts. But is it the Colts or is it mainly Carson Wentz? Bones, you watched this game. Carson Wentz is obviously the first guy in the history of anything that to, has got two sprained ankles in a game. You know, what did you see of Carson Wentz in this game? I just wanted to touch on that one quickly. It wasn't just two sprained ankles in one game. It was two sprained ankles in one play. He's managed to do both on the same play stories are coming out saying, which I just think this this is more about Carson Wentz. I do I did want to point this out because considering how much I gushed about the Rams, like the the Colts gave them a good run for the money for most of the game. Like they were in that game. But this is about Wentz and is Wentz as injury prone as we think he is. And I mean, based on the fact that it's week two and he managed to sprain both his ankles in a single play, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, he still is a bit injury prone. Like, and that's not good for the Colts. Like, I, I think if Wentz goes down big time, I think I don't think the Colts are going to be nearly as much. And I think Wentz definitely hasn't done himself any favors. I think me and Mark were talking about it earlier in the week on a few things. The, you you would like you, the way Wentz tries to extend the play is definitely not helping him in these situations. He's he's definitely doing it to himself a bit. But yeah, two sprained ankles in a single play is just mad. Like I don't I can't believe it. The Colts had were in a good spot in that game as well. Like they they weren't that far behind. But here we are. We're talking about Wentz in stock down. But yeah, I wanted to quickly mention that this is more Wentz than the Colts as a whole. So obviously, like you mentioned there, the Wentz injuries, he's had, he's had a fair few of them and he did look good. You know, like in, um, I don't know if it was first or second year at the, at the Eagles, you know, he had that um, MVP run, you know, before, before an injury, surprisingly, you know, where um, Nick Foles came in. Do you think, do you think the injuries are the biggest issue, Bones, or do you think that Carson Wentz 
isn't the quarterback we thought it was after that first year? Do you think it's what, what, do, you, what do you put it down to? I, I genuinely do think it's it's probably more injuries than anything else with Carson Wentz because I he's a he's a big dude like he's a big dude but and he's he's a good fair quarterback he plays well when he's healthy but it's these regular periods of unhealthiness that hinder him on as a quarterback in this league and yeah I, I don't think getting injured week two on what sounds like it was mostly non-contact injuries as well is a good sign because that's one of those things this is this is a big factor in the nfl as well that we we sometimes talk about i guess is when an injury is like not necessarily because you've been hit, it's just a non-contact, you're running around the field kind of it, they're much more concerning than any kind of injury you might take from an impact from another player. Like they're the injuries that we look at and go, that's you know, that's a bad sign for this player's longevity. And he's had two in a single play, first player in history, week two of the season, not good. Yep, so um, that concludes our stock down. And obviously, Gary's put in the chat there, I'll come back to that. He's put, if Jameis Winston is the brainless scarecrow, who's who's the cowardly lion? Who's the tin man with no heart? I think um, oh. he's, he's going to put... I don't, know if, I don't know if anyone can answer that, Mark. If you've got anything in mind or should we put it to That's the That's a great question, that. If James Winston is the brainless scarecrow, who is the cowardly lion and who is the tin man with no heart? Well, cowardly lion, I'm going to go Urban Meyer because stop doing what's done good for you. Have some balls and call what worked well for you in college. That's what the Jacksonville fans turned up to see. So why don't you not just stop being a coward and dip into your college playbook and start calling some college players? That's what we paid. That's what they paid their money for, right? And who's the tin man with no heart? Let's have a little bit of a think on this at this moment. Bill Belichick. Oh, but Bill Belichick's got no heart as in emotional heart. But I'm thinking which team's not playing with any heart or any emotion at this moment in time. And to be honest with you, I think I'm going to say the Giants. I think I'm going to say the Giants. You know, like they were in the game the other day against Washington. You know, like, and I just think that I just think that they need to play with a bigger sense of urgency. They've got their really good franchise, the Giants. You know, like over over my time of watching the NFL, they've won Super Bowls. They've, um, you know, like they've they've, they've 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 been really good and all that kind of stuff. Look at Tom, what a surprise! But generally, Tom, this isn't a dig at your team. But um, yeah, at this moment in time, I'm just I'm not seeing the fight from them that I'm used to seeing. I'm seeing more fight between their players and their own sideline. Than I am on the field. Like, um, and alarmingly, it's the Giants' defense, which was really good last year, which is kind of not showing. You know, can we get back to, like, you know, a bit smack nose? Can, you know, that's the Giants were always a rough blue collar team. You know what I mean? And they look a little bit soft at this moment in time. Um, if you're going to lose, at least lose nasty. You know what I mean? Though, like, like, yeah. I, I want to see that offensive line bully some teams. I want to see Saquon Barkley running over some players. I don't read Daniel Jones, but I want to see that defense smacking some people in the helmet. You know what I mean? I want to see that their, their, their touchline more fired up. I want to see Jason Garrett throw a clipboard down when it when it when it when it doesn't work for him. And I want to see Kenny Golladay giving 50-50 balls. You know what I mean? Though? Like 
the Giants need to find a little bit more heart. They need to find a little bit more heart and a little bit more tenacity, I think. I think if uh, Jason Garrett threw clipboards down um, for every time it didn't work, I think we'd be running our clipboards. Would you not think that the New York Giants cover all three of them, Mark, just to stir the pot a bit more, the being the Scarecrow, the Cowardly Lion, and the man and the lion with the Tim Man with no heart? It kind of covers all three, really, would you not say? Uh, you know, you could argue, you could say that that Garrett is a coward. He's he's the word conservative play calling was invented for for for, for Garrett. You could also say that Daniel Jones has been a bit cowardly. You know, there's times when he should really be tossing that ball up, and Golladay should be given more chance to do what Golladay does, which is a high point wide receiver. You know, me and Tom were talking about this earlier today, and that there's something about quarterback partnerships. And Tom said this when we were talking about Cup. He said Golladay was injured preseason, and Daniel Jones didn't get a chance to build that rapport with Golladay because Golladay is not going to get separation. He's, that's not the kind of wide receiver he is. He runs about three routes. He runs a go route, a post route, and an out route. And that's about it. And what he is, he's got really good body control and he can catch the ball at a high point and he uses his body control and his strength to make a 50-50 ball, a 70-30 ball. Um, and Daniel Jones has got to have a bit more courage and toss it up there for him. Um, if only they had a brain. Well, look, you know, like, yeah. You know, like you know, like like the penalties that lost them the game and stuff like that. You can see it be a bit smarter, be a bit smarter. There could be all three. You could argue all three for that team. There's examples where there could be all three. Your little pot stir, I join you. Yeah, as you know, it's the Giants want our stock down, but they've somehow ended up on there. We had a little segment for you. So sorry about that, Tom. It can only get better, maybe. Anyway, moving on to um, off of stock up, stock down. Obviously, we've got our little segments. Um, this week and obviously I've got my rookie performance of the week and we have little chats in, in, our, in our groups and um, I think um, there were a few that I could have gone for and um, I think Mark pointed me in the direction of the head rushers this week who uh, three of them who had really really good good weeks you know Gregory Rousseau at the Bills had five tackles four solo and two sacks one of his sacks was was, um, was unbelievable it was, I don't know if it was second or his first it was brilliant he actually broke off into coverage to, to like and like and pass two people on to make sure they were covered. They were, and they came. And it, I think I, I don't know if it was Brissett at the time or still Tua. It might have been uh, Jacoby Brissett. He came out and went to rush, and Rousseau just met him at the line and like took him down. You know, great awareness of like what's going on around you from Gregory Rousseau. Obviously, Jason Oway, another a, a favourite of uh, Mark coming out of the draft. He had a, he had a good game for the Ravens. Three tackles, three, um, one sack. I think he had a forced fumble and a recovery as well. And obviously, Mika Parsons, a bit of a hybrid, you know, obviously put, put him as an edge rusher. He can, he can play, you know, many different positions on that defence linebacker and thing, you know, hanging off the edge. He had um, another good game there. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention everything. Also, um, I want to throw out another one that um, I, I watched um, the game for. And it's a guy that I obviously, I wasn't a massive fan of coming out of um, the draft. I, I thought he was a good player, but I just, I thought he went a bit high. But Eric Stokes had a good game for the Green Bay Packers against against the Lions, you know. Had a couple of, uh, uh, sorry, Bones. Uh, he had a few a few breakups, and especially two on fourth down. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention him because obviously I wasn't a, a massive fan coming out of the draft, but he, 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 had a, he had a good game, Eric Stokes. And he's, if he can get playing well, they've got Eric Stokes and G.I. Alexander there. So it's a good partnership, a cornerback for, for them. And he actually played on the outside as well uh, on a few snap, quite a few snap Stokes. So, Bones, underdogs, voice of the voice last week. We had uh, two good ones last week, Bones. Who have you got this week? I think I've got two good ones again, to be fair. like I, I, They're interesting ones. Like So, I watched... Um... 
the Dallas Cowboys game. And obviously, Tony Pollard had a really good week this week. And now I, I went back to see, you know, what actually happened and what, what, what we saw. And what we see is Tony Pollard is, um, we talked about it before, we, you have A-backs and B-backs. And Tony Pollard appears to be becoming, the, at least it seems so, Dallas's primary be back, you know, the back that gets out in space and goes outside. Zeke is their quintessential A back. He's going to go up the middle and just try and smash through people. Whereas, yeah, Pollard definitely um, is their B back role. What we saw was like the Chargers defense might be partly like, I don't want to take anything away from Pollard because you always have to do something with what the defense give you. But I definitely think the defense gave him quite a bit of room in a few of these plays. Like, there was. The touchdown play that he got, his first touchdown, their first drive touchdown, is a prime example of something that you saw throughout the game, which is if Pollard and Zeke were both in the play and it was a, you know, an option between the two, Chargers defense almost always bit on Zeke every single time. And on the goal line, that's exactly what they did. They were four yards out and they thought, you know what, Zeke's the A-back, they're going to give it him, he's going to slam it up four yards to try and get the touchdown. And actually Pollard comes across on a jet sweep, gets handed the ball, fake to Zeke, and all the linebackers bite on Zeke and Pollard's left one-on-one with a cornerback and he's in, he's done. Like, and we, that's what you see, I think a few times in this game is like, especially in receiving ones as well, he's out in the flat. It's a quick sort of play action, throw it to the running back in the flat and he's out in space and then he gets going. Like this guy, if given a bit of space, clearly can get some yards. And that's what I wanted to bring up. Like we did see, um, I did want to touch on this as well. Zach Martin for the Dallas Cowboys also made a huge impact in their run game this week. Without him, like maybe there'd be a bit of a difference in the statistics here. But yeah, no, if if they can continue, if the Dallas Cowboys can continue scheming Pollard open and doing these multiple play fakes with Zeke so the defenses bite on Zeke instead of Pollard, he's going to keep getting these yards because once he's outside, once he's got a bit of space and he's one-on-one, he's going to make people miss um, and stuff like that. I think, yeah. He's really good. I, I, did anyone want to touch on Tony Pollard before we move on to the defensive one quickly? Yeah, I want to ask you this question. I'm going to ask this to all years and maybe to the fans as well. You know, we've got a few, we've got a few Cowboys fans in our group who, who might or might not listen to this show. They should listen to this show because <laughs> they'll learn something and they'll learn not to follow a shitty franchise like the Cowboys. But aside from that, aside from that point, you know, like um. Is the question now due to be asked, is Tony Pollard the better back in Dallas at this moment in time? You know, he's younger, he's fresher. Zeke carried the ball a shitload, you know, like in college. You know, he's been regularly a 30-touch a game running back. You know, he's been heavily used over time. He's in his second contract. You know, is, is Tony Pollard the better back in Dallas at this moment in time? We all know that Zeke will play because he's been paid. And Jerry Jones will be saying, look, get this guy involved because I'm paying him a shitload of money I can't get out of. But, you know, is, is Tony Pollard actually their best back at this moment in time? I think, sorry to jump in if I've cut you off, John, but I think I think it could look that way. But I do think it, I think it has to be said for, to Zeke's credit is like he still had some runs in this game. He still was, there were still some breakaways where he got through the line. It's just, I think at this point that it, it looks like Dallas is going to become more of this rather than Zeke being just a bell cow back, which I think is what we've seen from Dallas realistically over the years. Is Zeke is a bell cow. I think it's going to become a running back room and we'll see more and more of Pollard. I don't know that he's necessarily better, but he's better for the job of being the B back. That's the thing. I think it's a 
it's where do you put him? I think Zeke is clearly going to be a good A-back because when Pollard did go up the middle, there were a couple of runs, but I think Zeke had the better time straight up behind the line, whereas Pollard was getting these yards out outside on the edges. And I think, yeah, I think Dallas keep it like that. I don't think he's necessarily better. I think he's he's good, and I think he's better at being the B-back. And I think it, if the scheme for that, he will have a good year. Yeah, I like Pollard. I think when Zeke got injured last year, Pollard stepped up and did a fantastic job, you know, and um, it's something about him, like, I suppose Bones, I kind of I kind of would say Pollard, but I get what Bones is saying as well. Like, there's two, two. you can lean on them both, you know, like a, a bit there, and they're both two, you know, if they both stay fit, I think it's a, a nice little partnership. They, they have different things to, to, you know, they've got different things for each of us games, you know, it adds to the Cowboys running game. Like I say, with Zach Martin opening spaces, you know, it'd be interesting to see if Zeke comes a short down. Um, he seems to be more coming down to a short down back, you know, like, you know, especially on the goal line. So that'd be an interesting thing to once. But yeah, I, I, I like, I like Pollard. Like I said last year, he, he, he got a lot more reps with the injury and he, and he, and he looked good. I did have one more player to touch on, which is the defensive one while we're here, which is um, Mike Edwards for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, who recorded his first two pick sixes of his career within four minutes of each other. Um, now, we talked about this quickly um, when we were discussing what we were going to talk about this week, and I went back and watched. Uh, you were right. It does look like Edwards played primarily this week in nickel packages and that sort of he played 54% of the snaps, but when he was on the field, he made his presence felt. And that's that's what's important from your players, who are these rotational pieces. Like One of his picks was, um, he, it was a, an interception off a pass. He like came from inside and batted up almost himself and then caught it and ran off. The other one was, they were rushing the passer and Matt Ryan tries to throw the ball. It gets batted and he catches it behind Matt Ryan and he's off for a pick. But I think the reason we said this guy was an underdog is before this week, like, He's only been in the league a year, but he didn't. He didn't really do much last year. We saw he had two interceptions last year. To be fair, um, one was in the divisional round against the Saints, which is towards the end of the year. So, I was part of what I was saying was like this guy has clearly developed last year, and I think in the space of yeah, since the divisional round to now, he's had three interceptions and two of which were pick six. I think he's got some good tackle numbers as well. I think this guy could argue a way his way up the up the um up the depth chart here i don't see any reason why you wouldn't give this guy a bit more time yeah you know this is the you know, Tampa again another team who've just done so well at drafting and threw picks at the secondary you know like we talked about jamal dean and carlton davies the auburn pair talked about murphy bunton who came in who's who's who normally plays nickel for them but is injured and now they've got this mike edwards who's come in and uh, and he's playing nickel while Murphy Bunton's out, and and yeah, and again he's one of their own. He's one of these who they've found in the middle rounds of the NFL draft. Um, you know, I looked at him myself because I thought he must be playing nickel because Whitehead Winfield Jr. are their starting safeties, and he's listed as a free safety. He's uh, the number two free safety on the draft on the depth chart. And I know that you know, like Brown and Jamal Dean will be on the corners outside. So it's like he must be playing nickel to have come in for, um, you know, like um, for uh, Murphy Bunton, you know, Bunton Murphy, Joe way around that fucking surname is, you know, um, and he, and yeah, he's five foot ten, you know, he's probably got better size to play nickel than uh, than the guy he's replacing him six foot one, um, yeah, I never heard of him. I was like, you bones, remember when we were talking about this? We were like, 
who is he? And I was like, I don't know. And I like know everything about secondary players. So I was like, Jesus Christ, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and, I, and I thought, well, should we ask Jamie a bit about him? You know what I mean? No. But he's come in, he's playing nickel. And yeah, he's got he's got he's got hands for the ball, which is which is a good attribute to have. Is he gonna be the other one? Look, this team's done so well just drafting secondary players in rounds two, three, and four and turning them into really good contributors, you know what I mean? It's um saving them a lot of money so they can go get their Tom Brady's and the and that Antonio Browns and their Rob Gronkowski's and Chris Godwin's and Shaq Barrett's. God, you could go for that whole team, it's so talented. You know what I mean, though? But, yeah, unfair. The rich keep on getting richer, don't they? You just find some third or fourth round, yeah, two player no one's heard of, and yeah, he comes on getting production, you know? Yeah, so um, that rounds that up. We're going to, obviously, week three kicks off soon. It's the, um, we mentioned earlier, Panthers are off to the Texans to play. I just wanted to go around and we'll start with you first, Bones, you know, like uh, week three matchups. Obviously, there's a few there, like Rams, Buccaneers, it's to, you can't, it's hard not to look past that. Even Tom's got to be excited because surely there's a win there for the Giants at the Falcons. If, if they don't, obviously, I don't think he'll want to show his face in the chat for a while, but that's got to be a win for the Giants. Is the, um, is anything you, what, what games look like stand out for you, uh, Bones? Well, I mean, you've, you've picked my major pick for the week there, I think, which again, my bias is showing, but I want to watch Rams Buccaneers. I, I'm, I'm going out on a limb and I'm saying this is like NFC Championship preview game right here. This is this is my pick for it. This is the one that you want to watch. Like, um, yeah, I think that's a big one. Pick going for after that. Um oh, who's gonna be an interesting one, I wonder. Um Oh, Packers 49ers could be good. I, I quite like the idea of watching that. Raiders might probably going to destroy the Dolphins after the holdout last week. So that the nose points last week that could be fun. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few out there. Panthers, Panthers, Texans tonight. I think yeah, that's gonna that could be like you say that could be just an absolute um, firefight. That could just be people chucking bombs to get as many points as possible. You never know. But is Tara Taylor healthy? No, I think he's out. I think Davis Mills is um, is, is playing tonight. I don't know how long he's out for, but I, I did see somewhere that Davis Mills were playing. I think um, week two showed that how, how how crazy this this game is. You know, like obviously we saw the um, in the week one. I know it's only early in the season. We saw week one um, the Cardinals destroy the Titans. Cardinals go play the Vikings, who lost to um, the Bengals, and you think, ah, oh, it's an easy win for Cardinals. But Cardinals just, just, just win the game. Obviously, Vikings could have even won it if they missed a field goal at the end. And um, Titans go and destroy Seattle, unfortunately, for in the second half and the fourth quarter. It just shows you how how crazy this game is. Mark, um, is he a favourite game for you this week? Um, there's a few matchups I'm watching. Um, both of them are AFC West games. I'm looking forward to the Chargers against um, the Chiefs. I think it's a win-win situation for the for the Raiders. You know, we can either, you know, like the Chiefs are either going to lose one or the or the, or the Chargers are going to slip even further behind in that wild card race. Um, so I'm 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 hoping. Um, well, actually, I can watch that gaming and actually I don't give a fuck who wins because either way it's going to benefit the Raiders, which is a nice situation to be in. I'm looking forward to see the Raiders against the Miami Dolphins, particularly our young pass rush, which is emerging. You know, Yannick Ngokwe and Max Crosby against that uh, Miami offensive line. I read a statistic the other day that the Miami offensive line gave up pressure 
for Jacoby Brissett, 70% of the passing downs he was in for, 70% of Jacoby Brissett's passing downs was under pressure. So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, look at me chops. You know, like the Raiders are playing in Vegas. Mass Crosby's playing like his hair's on fire. Yannick Ngokwe is doing the same. Nassib's doing well. We've got three defensive ends in the top 15 for PFF. I can't recall a time the Raiders have ever had that in my time, at least anyway. Um, and I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward. I'm actually really licking me chops for that one. Um, the, you've mentioned it. The Rams is, the, is, the, is probably hard to find not the standout game. You know, um, the Rams against Tampa Bay. I think you're right, Bones. This could be the NFC Championship game. Um, I've loved watching Arizona so far. Watched that game last week against Minnesota. It was like a college game. It was like back and forward, back and forth. Spread offense a lot. It was brilliant. Um, but yeah, there's a few games I'm watching, Jordan. It's just the, the NFL's just been mint these last two weeks, to be honest with you. You know, it's just had some real, real good games. Yeah, that, that, like you said, it's that's the that's what brought, dragged me into this sport early on before I started watching it. Like when I started to get to know it, it's just like look at the Raiders this year. Who would have thought the Raiders like would have started two and zero? You know, this is the beauty of it. You know, like it just swings and roundabouts. Anyone can beat anyone on the day, unless you're obviously the Jets this year and stuff. But they'll put they'll have the day one day, I'm sure. But this is why it's it's so beautiful. So obviously, every week we're going to end on the better of the week, and obviously, Mike, you, you, your free fold came up. Apologies, the Seahawks let you down for the four, but your free fold came up. What have you got for us this week? Well, this week I'm going to start looking at some of the handicaps. I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be brave, and I'm going to do some handicap betting. So I've got a nice um, two and a half to one double. Um, I'm going Washington Redskins plus seven point five against the Bills. I'm thinking that Washington defense will keep them in the game and it'll be tight. And I'm going for the Chicago Bears plus seven against the Cleveland Browns. I think Chicago's with Justin Fields at quarterback is going to be a lot more exciting and I think they could surprise. So I'm going for me doubles going to be Washington football team plus 7.5 and Chicago Bears plus seven. If you want to make it a cheeky little treble, throw the Bengals in there plus three against the Steelers. We've talked about Big Ben off Big Ben Roethlisberger on his arm. Steelers might be missing a few pieces. The Bengals have got lots of offensive weapons. So stick the Bengals plus three in. The treble is 5.8 to one. So £10 on the treble wins you £68 back. £10 on the double wins you £35. I'll add, um, I'll, add, I'll add that first bet. I'll, add, I'll have some of that, you know. So, um, we're, just like I say, the first week you didn't hit, but you're, you're back. You're back with a bang last week with, with a threefold. Obviously, I've seen John. John obviously he's he's not feeling well this week. Hopefully, he's back next week. And you just commented there saying we're tipping everyone, but but the Niners. Well, obviously the injuries have started already, haven't they? For the Niners, you know, you know, it's already started in week two. They're tumbling down. So. We'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for him, John. Don't worry. Hopefully, you can join us uh, next week and you get better, which wish you a speedy recovery. So, yeah, that's it. That's that's all we've got time for this week. It's been uh, fun as ever. We've enjoyed talking. Thank you very much, Bones and Mark. And um, we'll be back next week with week three talking points and um, hopefully with uh, a New York Giants win for Mr. Tom. 
Fingers crossed for you, Tom. I really hope you can do it against the Falcons. See you next week.